Welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where Pastor Jeff Cranston, along with our host, Jen Denton, will discuss biblical theology in an understandable way. You'll discover how to apply biblical truth to your life. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Kitchen Table Theology. I'm your host, Jen Denton, along with Pastor Jeff Cranston. We try to make theology understandable, especially for Christians who have never studied theology before. If we use hard-to-understand theological terms, we explain them. Our goal with you, Kitchen Table Theologians, is to help you understand the wonderful truths of the Bible's doctrinal teachings. And we hope to have some fun along the way. (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by Pastor Jeff's book, Happily Ever After. Now, again, that might sound like a fairy tale or a marriage book, but it isn't. It's Pastor Jeff's book that he wrote to help you apply the teachings of Jesus in the Beatitudes to your life. We'll link on how you can grab a copy in today's episode's notes. But for today's purposes, Pastor Jeff, we're continuing to talk about the Holy Spirit. The theological term for studying the Holy Spirit is called pneumatology, and we define that in episode 40. And we thought we'd hit on some of these overarching things the Holy Spirit does in the life of God's child. On our last episode, we discovered that the Holy Spirit regenerates us to new life in Christ, the Holy Spirit restrains sin in the world, and he convicts and reveals Jesus Christ to people. Well, hello again, kitchen table theologians, and yes, Miss Jen, we'll continue on some more incredible things that the Holy Spirit does in the life of the follower of Jesus. You know, someone once said that the average church member's understanding of the Holy Spirit is so vague, it is nearly non-existent. Mm, that's a bold statement. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd go that far, but at Kitchen Table Theology, we want to make sure that is not true in your life. Well, along those lines, let's jump in. Where do you want to begin? What else does the Holy Spirit do in believers' lives? Well, there's all kinds of things, but let's start with this. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ. That's what he does. He baptizes us into Christ, and most of us don't have any concept of what that means, so let's try to unlock that. You know, I shared uh, in a sermon a few weeks ago that in a Peanuts comic strip, there was a conversation between Lucy and Charlie Brown, and Lucy said that life is like a deck chair on a cruise ship, and some people place the deck chair so they can see where they're going, and some place it so they can see where they've been, and some place it so they can see where they are at present. And Charlie Brown said, I can't even get mine unfolded. (laughs) And I love that. When it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I think we all have a tendency to to feel like like that. I, I, I can't even unfold this thing. I don't even know what it means. So the subject of the baptizing work of the Holy Spirit really is controversial. There's a lot of diverse opinion in the church about it. There's confusion on one hand, because we tend to confuse it with water baptism. And then there's confusion on another hand. uh, When you talk about the baptism of the Spirit, some people refer to it as a second blessing. So let's define it if we can. Now, in Dr. Paul N.'s book, The Moody Handbook of Theology, he defines it like this. So uh, grab a hold of this. The baptizing work of the Holy Spirit may be defined as that work— whereby the Spirit places the believer into union with Christ and into union with other believers in the body 
of Christ. So very simply stated, what that means is that you, at the moment of your conversion, become indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, and in that same moment, he also makes you a member of the body of Christ, which is the church. And the Holy Spirit is the agent, and you could capitalize agent with an A there, who brings this to pass. Now, perhaps the the, the key verse that we would want to know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit into Christ, or him baptizing us into Christ, is 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And that says, for by one Spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. And, you know, you just talked about it makes you a member of the body of Christ. It's one of my favorite things that we do here at Low Country Community Church. Once you have given the gospel and offered that salvation prayer, and I probably have tears in my eyes every single time because you always follow that up with the same statement. Let me be the first one to say, welcome to the family of God. So we're baptized into the spirit at our conversion, and that occurs at the moment of our salvation. My answer to that is yes. And that said, I have friends who will argue with me that it is something that happens subsequent mm-hmm. to our salvation. I find that difficult to back up with, with Scripture. For, for example, uh, nowhere in Scripture is there a single exhortation for anyone to be baptized with the Spirit. And even as I say that, I'm hesitant because I'm sure somebody's going to go, okay, well, yeah, what about? So, yeah, if, if you're questioning that, then let's, let's, let's talk, talk about, about it. it. Right, right in, uh, Pastor Jeff at lowcountrycc.org or hit me up on Instagram. But what this indicates to me that all believers have experienced this ministry. So there's not a single exhortation which says, okay, you have to, subsequent to conversion, you have to be baptized with the Spirit. So the fact that Scripture is silent on that, I think, tells me that if you are a Christian, you have already experienced the baptism of the Spirit. Now, when Paul tells the Corinthians, we were all baptized into one body, we were all made to drink of one Spirit, he was talking to a group of people who made up a church which included such a terrible variety of spiritual conditions. And the the carnality that was in that church was unbelievable. And yet Paul never assumes that any of them have missed any of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Even in their carnal state as Christians, I mean, there was all kind of mess going on in that Corinthians church, but Paul talks to them as people who had experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that they were baptized into Christ. So he makes a blanket statement, and then he doesn't say, except for you, right? And you and you. And yeah, or out. because of your sin, you didn't get it yet, obviously, or because of your sin, you've lost it. He never says any of that. He talks to them as people who have been baptized into one spirit, mm-hmm. all of us. That touches on a lot of points, but mm-hmm. let's let's focus here. So the, the Holy Spirit baptizes us, and the reason this happens is to become, and I love this word, indwelt 
by the Holy Spirit of God and to also make us members of the body of Christ or what we call the church. Right. So kitchen table theology friends, let's sum it up with Dr. Charles Stanley wrote a very helpful book for understanding all of this and it's titled The Spirit-Filled Life and we'll provide you a link for that in our episode notes so you can get your hands on that resource. It's a great little book. Yeah. Now, Pastor Jeff, how about talking about something else the Spirit does for us? He reproduces the character of Jesus Christ in our lives. And, you know, we're, we're recording this as we're recording today. It's winter in South Carolina. Both of us are kind of, <laughs> kind we're, of we're crossing freezing. our arms and freezing up The in sun here is today. out and it's 55 degrees, but we're <laughs> frozen. So some of you are rolling your eyes because, yeah, we're, we're lightweights here in South Carolina when it comes to the cold. But we are already looking forward to, we have a beautiful field right down from where our church is, where the daffodils pop up. And they're going to be coming. That'll be coming soon, you know, I It will think. be. Yeah. They're going to be coming in just a few weeks. But you know, now I'm making all the people that are you know, going to be in snow for the next. Well, that's their fault really for sad. living there. That's all I can. Come on down. I, I did Join it, the entire man. state yeah. of Ohio and we come were... on down. <laughs> We were, uh, I served a six and a half year sentence in Wisconsin. So, oh, you've done oh your due. my you, word. You, you've had your due. For yeah, sure. human beings just should not live in that <laughs> climate. But, you know, when springtime comes around, I, I can't help but kind of think about what we're talking about today. You know, when, when the springtime comes and, you know, we think about all these beautiful oak trees that we have here in the South and those new buds start to form and mm-hmm. they push out the remnants, you know, and the old dies away. Right. It's, it's the only it's only in the living things and the growth of living things that can expel the dead you know it's only the good that can push out the bad yeah that's a very good analogy um paul said to the galatians uh he called them oh my dear children and he said this i feel as if i'm going through labor pains for you again and they will continue until christ is fully developed in your life so we're talking about the Holy Spirit reproducing the character of Jesus in us. So Paul saw the Galatians come to Christ. I mean, he led them to Christ. He saw them learn about Christ because he taught them. And Paul figuratively really gave birth to them, and he gave birth to the church there. But they had returned to some of their former ways, and that was really painful for Paul to to see that and hear about it. And he said, I feel like I'm experiencing childbirth all over again. And what he was telling them and and us is this, Christ wants to replace the dominance of the human sin nature with his own nature within us. Hmm. Now, leave it to a man to start talking about, you know, the pains of childbirth and things like that. I'll give it to him because he had a lot of other ailments and troubles in his life. But let's say like this, probably (laughs) half of the church was made up of women. They would have totally gotten that analogy as you do. That's true. Yeah, you understand that analogy much greater than I do. Okay, I'll give it to Paul this one time. Yeah, you be nice to Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the point here is that the Holy Spirit reproduces the character of Jesus Christ in my life and baptizes all of us into Christ. There's, There's something else he does for us for which I am incredibly grateful for. Let's talk about his influence in helping us understand the Bible. Yeah, that is a huge thing for us. Uh, He helps us and gives us understanding of the Word of God. Now, you might recall Jesus uh, talking about this, and I think we—I know we've touched on this verse in previous podcasts, just the last one or two. 
Uh, Jesus said, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. So let's let's couple that with what Paul says to, in 1 Corinthians 2.10. Paul said, the Spirit, not content to flit around on the surface, dives into the depths of God and brings out what God planned all along. So when Jesus spoke of the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, he was speaking of it in the future tense, right? Because the Spirit had not yet come. He was still walking around on earth. The Holy Spirit existed because the Holy Spirit's God, but the Holy Spirit was not sent to the disciples like we know he was later. So Jesus is talking about the teaching ministry of the Spirit in the future tense. That ministry actually started on the day of Pentecost and continues through our day and age. Peter's clear understanding of truth in his sermon in, in Acts, uh, the early chapters of Acts, shows the ministry of the Holy Spirit had begun. And you see that just because of the thousands of people who come to faith in Christ. So the Holy Spirit teaches us in the context of all revelation regarding Jesus Christ himself, all on the basis of the written Word of God. And we have no other reliable information about Jesus apart from the Bible. And the Holy Spirit, you know, He illuminates it. He gives us understanding of it. He helps us remember it. That's part of what He does for us. And that really gives us a, an extra jolt or an extra incentive to jump into the Word. Sure. Yeah. The, the Holy Spirit teaches us that the context of Scripture, including an understanding of things that may have tripped us up in the past. He, he surrounds that with, with that content. That Sometimes, context. you know, well, a lot of times I'll have people, especially on Sundays, hey, what about this? What about that? Uh, and they're, they're asking a question maybe of something that's in the Bible. And I'll often say, well, have you prayed and asked the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit to teach you in this? And a lot of times I get a blank look like, oh, well, no. But let me just encourage you, do that. Uh, keep asking your questions to, you know, people that may be able to help you. But first question, you, hey, I don't understand this. Mm -hmm. The first thing we ought to do is ask the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. to, to illuminate it, reveal it to us. And, and that brings us, you know, to our next topic. You know, we've seen that the Holy Spirit reproduces the character of Jesus Christ in our lives and he baptizes us into Christ. But here's a topic that we just said, I think all of us might struggle with from time to time, and that's prayer, because the Bible tells us to pray, and it tells us to specifically pray in the Spirit. So what does that mean, and how are we to pray in the Spirit? Yeah, that's a very good topic. Um, the Bible commands us to pray in the Spirit. And in this little bitty book of Jude near the end of the New Testament, it doesn't even have a chapter. It only has verses. That's how small it is. <laughs> in verse 20, we read this, but you, my dear friends, must build yourselves up on the foundation of your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. One of the things the Spirit does for us is that He gives power to our prayer lives, and this power comes as we pray in the Spirit. But what does that mean? What when you say pray, pray to pray in I'm, I'm the Spirit? I'm trying to get to it. I know, but I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because. You know, again, we said this can be a scary or controversial topic, and yeah. I think this is probably where some of that comes up, because mm -hmm. can it mean praying in tongues or in an unknown or otherworldly language? You know, what does praying in the Spirit involve? 
I think that's great, Jim, because you're you're giving voice to everybody who's listening. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, quit that. What does it I'm mean? Like, what is it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Paul says in Ephesians 6, 18, pray in the spirit on all occasions, etc. Jude 20, pray in the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? Well, this is where a very short hop into the Greek language can help us. So the New Testament's written in Greek, in a common everyday Greek. It's called Koine Greek. So kitchen table theologian, don't click pause, don't click off here. This will be brief, but this will be good. This will help us understand it. The Greek word translated pray in, you know, pray in the Spirit. So pray in can have several different meanings. So our English pray in is one Greek word, and it can mean several different things. It can mean by means of, so pray by means of the Spirit. It can mean pray with the help of the Spirit. It can mean pray in the sphere of the Spirit, and it can mean pray in connection to the Spirit. So maybe what it doesn't mean. Praying in the Spirit does not refer to the words we're saying. So let's understand that. Rather, it refers to how we are actually praying. So it's not what we say, but how we are praying. Praying in the Spirit is praying according to the Spirit's leading. It's praying for things the Spirit leads us to pray for. Romans 8.26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. So that is sort of the deepest kind of praying. You know, praying in the Spirit, as some would suggest, is not praying in an unknown tongue. And that's very controversial for me to say that. But it is the Spirit praying through us when we are inarticulate, when we can't find the words, when we don't even pretend to know the mind or will of God on a certain matter. I mean, have you ever gone to pray about something? And you're like, you know, I don't even know how to pray here. Mm-hmm. Um, or this, you know, I got to pray for this person and my word. I, all I know is like this big picture thing, but I know there's a whole lot more going on here, but I don't know how to pray. And I think at that moment we can just say, okay, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm coming and I'm, I'm I, I want to pray in the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, you know, take what is unknown and what I'm trying, you know, my heart, you know, my mind, what I want to do or how I ought to pray. Cause I don't know how, and I'll often pray this and translate that for me into the will of God. As you intercede for me, as I come and I, and I pray and I get myself in that kind of a mindset, I just think that's the deepest kind of, of prayer. Now, there's an author named Robert Kuglin, and he's got an excellent chapter about praying in the Spirit. And a, in a little paperback book he wrote, it's called Handbook on the Holy Spirit. And we'll include a link to that in this episode. So if you want to dive deeper, kitchen table theologian on praying in the spirit, and I'm I'm just touching on it here, obviously, which is kind of what we do a lot. Um, 
Handbook on the Holy Spirit, Robert Kuglin. We'll put a link in the episode notes. And I think a lot of us can resonate with the last part of that verse from Romans 8, 26. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Right. Because I think I've felt that presence the most in, in times of sheer heartache or pain when you just cannot get the words out or you don't know what to say. And I, I think that's a human thing to do. We want to articulate it in sure. you know, this fancy, special way. And sometimes it's just saying, I don't know what to say. Or we're I waiting don't. for some manifestation. Mm-hmm. Like I should pray in a s- unknown tongue and or, you know, a special prayer language or you know, I should get the shivers or whatever it is. And oh man, that didn't happen. So I must not be praying in the spirit. Mm-hmm. But that's not praying in the spirit. It's it's being in tune and enough to say, hey, I need your help here, Holy Spirit, to help me pray according to the will of God, because I don't really know what it is. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, at those moments is where he steps in and he steps up for us. Mm-hmm. And I think it shelters us from that thought that, and, and this will be a, a segue into what we're going to talk about next, into that that sense that we have to feel a certain way. I, I need to have this, right. you know, certain emotional connection. And I think some of my most honest conversations with our Heavenly Father have been, I don't really like this, mm-hmm. and I don't really know what to say right now. Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm not talking to you. I know, I'm not talking to you because I don't <laughs> feel like it. And, you know, we we tend to, to lump the Holy Spirit with feeling a certain way. So that really helps us kind of go into our next topic that's near and dear to both of our hearts, and that's worship. Because people mm. think they're supposed to feel a certain way mm-hmm. in worship. But, you know, Paul tells us in Philippians 3 3 that we are the true believers because we worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ. So, what role does the Spirit play in our worshiping? Yeah. So, that, that literally says worship in the Spirit, not in your own feelings or how you. Right. Yeah. So, what again? So, what is that? I suppose we could say that the Spirit promotes meaningful worship. So let's let's start there by considering the verse you just quoted, worship in the Spirit of God. Now, I think we can all agree that one of the basic earmarks of a Christian is that he or she worships God. I mean, that just goes without saying. Uh, the Lord Jesus says in John 4, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So the Holy Spirit is in charge of the worship department. Genuine worship ties to dynamic fellowship with the Holy Spirit. If we relate poorly to the Holy Spirit, we are going to be poor worshipers. So worship in genuine Christianity is in the Spirit. It's inward, not outward. The outward form does not constitute true worship. Worship is our expression of love toward God. We we don't worship well if we do not love well. And to love God is to adore Him, magnify Him, what else? Praise Him, honor Him. It, it's to give Him first place. That you know, we equate worship to music, and when we do that, good grief, do we ever limit worship? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we even say it in our churches. You know, well, we're going to have a time of worship, mm-hmm. and then the message. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's all a time of worship. And it's really not primarily what we outwardly are doing. The worship has to begin and be foremost in our hearts, and that just flows out of a love for God. And when, we're, when that's happening, we're worshiping in the Spirit. 
again, you're, you're speaking my language. And I, I try to always think about what is that heart of worship? That heart of worship is our response. And we do that in giving. We do that in prayer. Yeah, we do that in singing, but it's our response to all that God mm-hmm. has given. You know, I, it reminds me kind of the way that we treat worship sometimes of this old story about the husband who was asked if he told his wife every day that he loved her. And his response was, well, I told her on her wedding day, if anything changes, I'll let her know. What a what a man. <laughs> and, you know, I think that we kind of treat God that way, right? Like, you know, it's like, okay, thank you, I'm saved, you know, or thank you that this good thing happened today, or it's Easter, or it's Christmas, so, so thank uh, and you. And I'll ramp it up a little bit more because it's Easter or Christmas, but then I'm going to go back to mm-hmm. my life. Yeah, you know, so... Again, back to this analogy between this husband and wife, you know, he might say, well, you know, she she knows that I love her. To God, we might say, well, he knows that I love him. But, mm-hmm. you know, how does how do we need to do that? You know, it that that wife can't read your mind. So how does does she know it? And by the same token, God can see our minds and can see into our hearts, but it doesn't hurt to continue to tell no we should still (laughs) express i mean spirit-filled worship will cause us to tell god of our love Mm -hmm. just will uh to express our love for him you you know one of the classic verse verses most christians know regarding the holy spirit's in ephesians 5 18 and it says don't get drunk with wine but be filled with the holy spirit and we often stop right there in that verse but there's more to it and there's the ensuing verses are still in the context of the Holy Spirit, and worship enters in as well. So Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. But do we ever read verse 19 and 20? Verse 19 and 20 say, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So there's the singing. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a really good picture here of what spirit-led worship or worship in the spirit is. There's an outward expression of spirit-led praise when Paul says, speaking to, to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's an inner expression a spirit-filled worship and praise, sing and make music where? In your heart to the Lord. And then he wraps it up and says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. That's a consequence of being filled with the Spirit. You'll have a thankful heart. So that's what it means. It's an inward and outward expression of our love of God. And when that's happening, we're worshiping in the Spirit. And as we always say here at Kitchen Table Theology, you know, how does this impact our daily lives? That right there is the answer. Mm-hmm. That as as we have that thankful heart, that you know the the what is it in Matthew? He says, "From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks." So those those words that are right. going to come out if we position our heart in tune to the Spirit, then we can't help but have that well experience said. in our life. Well, guys and gals, y'all, as we say here, Ewans. <laughs> Oh, I've never said That's that. That's a Western Pennsylvania. I did say you all, you all, because I lived in the Midwest. For y'all, y'all, y'all I, works, man. Well, y'all covers everybody. Y'all, y'all all. All y'all. Yeah, all y'all. That's <laughs> it. That's it. Well, 
all y'all. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcast or whatever platform you're listening from. While you're there, please consider leaving a review, which helps other people to find out about Kitchen Table Theology. Or go to jeffcranston.com for all of our previous episodes. Again, today's episode was brought to you by Pastor Jeff Cranston's book, Happily Ever After, written to help you apply the teachings of Jesus in the Beatitudes to your life. We'll link how you can grab a copy in today's episode notes, or you can find it on Amazon, like everything else in the world. Everything's on Amazon. Oh my goodness, that's a trap at night. I just got to turn it off. Because sometimes the doorbell rings and I don't even know what it is anymore. I could see that. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Sometimes the doorbell rings and I don't even know what it is anymore. I don't even know what that is. But you're excited. I I know. You just never know. And then you get that kind of letdown if it's. Yes, cleaning products. Yeah. Oh, I have a subscription to that. That makes me pretty happy, though. Oh, goodness. We have digressed here. We do want to give a special thank you before we sign off today to our new sound engineer. I feel like we need one of those like applause things gabe diaz yay gabe because pat moved away to texas pat we have words for you pat that's okay (laughs) we are glad that you have mentored gabe in such a wonderful way coach gabe up and that's what we do here where we're broadcasting from at low country community church here in bluffton south carolina all y'all here at the church make this podcast possible and thanks to you kitchen table theology nation for your support your questions your encouragement all along the way as we remember that the real power of theology is not only knowing it but applying it see you next time next time you've been listening to the kitchen table theology podcast with jen denton and pastor jeff cranston join us next time for more insights into biblical truth if you'd like to know more on today's topic You can check out the show notes at jeffcranston.com. You can also email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.